Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Well, if you look in your bulletin there, we're looking at the last thing that Jesus prayed for. The last thing that Jesus prayed for. Now I know that we've all heard the question, you know, we've asked the question, what would you do if you had one day to live? Right? At one time or another, we've all uh, thought about that, listened to someone uh, discuss that. What would you do if you had one day to live? But, but the question that I want for us to ask today is if you had one more chance to pray. If you had one more chance, one more quiet time of prayer, one more opportunity to get on your knees with God, to, to call out, to go after, to beseech the composer's throne, if you had one more opportunity, what would you pray for? What would you pray about if you knew you had one more? Have you ever thought about that? If you knew it was your last chance to say, you know, God, would you, would you come and would you do this? Would you move? In this situation, would you act in this relationship? What would you pray for if you had one last prayer? You know, when we consider that question, the, the sheer weight of it, really, because the answer to that question, it reveals very much our heart. It reveals our heart. It reveals what we're passionate about. It displays our love, our priority. When we consider that question, then I think it makes it super duper fascinating when we're looking at what Jesus prayed for with his last prayer, his final earthly opportunity. What does scripture tell us? That he prayed for. Well, to answer that question, it lies in John uh, chapter 17. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. We're going to read verses 20 uh, through 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one located under the chair in front of you. We'll have the words on the screen. But so John chapter 17, beginning with verse 20, it says this. My prayer... And this is Jesus speaking, okay? 
My prayer is not for them alone. And when he speaks of them alone, he's referring to that inner group of disciples whom he had just finished praying for. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Okay, that's us. For those who will believe in me. So he's praying for us. Those of us who were to come. And then look at what he asked for in verse 21. Okay, this is the last thing that Jesus prayed for. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Booyah. Okay, there it is. A final chance to pray. One more time. And this is what Jesus asked for. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So what did Jesus pray for with his final prayer? Unity. Okay? Isn't that fascinating? With his final prayer. I mean, you know, think about Jesus and and all that he had on his heart, his shoulders, up in his head. All of the people that he knew, all of the hurts that were happening around him, the turbulence of the day, the darkness that he knew lay ahead. And what does he pray for? He prays for unity among his followers, followers of of Jesus Christ. If you could pray for one more thing, what would it be? Understand today, Jesus prayed for unity. So we'll uh, look at Christ's prayer for us here in greater detail then. So first of all, in verse 21... Uh, Jesus prays, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. That's the first thing that he prays for us. That we would be one as he and the Father are one. Okay, so to understand what Christ is praying for us here, we need to understand what that oneness between the Father and the Son, what that oneness looks like. If that's the kind of oneness that he wants us to have, what does their oneness Look like. Well, here we'll briefly refer to the whole concept of the Trinity. Okay, the Trinity—it's that that biblical concept, that belief that three persons, being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they exist together as one God. Okay, functioning mutually, equally, never independently of one another. That's the concept of of the Trinity. But more specifically. For us today, how does that relationship play out? You know, what does that oneness between the Father and the Son, what does it specifically look like if we are called to be one as the Son and the Father are one? Well, good news, Scripture gives us a really clear picture of what that relationship looks like. It's in John chapter 5. I don't have that on the screen, so you can turn that in... Turn to that in your Bibles 
In John chapter 5, Jesus gives us key insight into the united relationship that he has with his Father. So in John chapter 5, when you get there, we begin with verse 19. And let's see what Jesus says about how he and the Father work together because we are called to work in the same way. He says, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. And then you can skip down to verse 22 where he considers... The, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Okay, so in this passage, what are we seeing about the oneness relationship that we're called to have with one another? We're going to pull out three things. This is from John chapter 5. Three things that we learn about that oneness relationship. First of all, we find a commitment to conform. Okay, that's the first thing that we see. In verse 19, it says that the Son, He can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing. So we can understand from that that there's a commitment to conformity. Jesus is saying, listen, you know what, when it comes... Uh, to me and the Father, when it comes to our relationship, if He's not for it, then you know what? I don't go there. It's not going to happen. If He's not at, at peace with it, in agreement with it, I don't want any part of it. I do nothing apart from Him. So we see first in the Father, Son, oneness, unified relationship, there's a commitment to conform, to relate that to us here today and what Jesus was praying for, I think we can ask ourselves this question. With my church, do I have a commitment to conform? Am I committed to conform? Now, I know that I'm using a negative word in our society when I use this word conform. Our culture... They say, hey, you go get your own YouTube channel. You be the star. You do your own thing. You follow your heart, your dream. You come up with your own dreams. You do what you and you alone want to do. The Greatest Showman, a movie that came out uh, this last Christmas, which has literally changed our family's life. We love this movie. We listen to the soundtrack and watch the movie again and again because we bought them both. And yes, old dad liked it so much that he even splurged and dropped a couple extra bucks for the Blu-ray. It's the first Blu-ray I have ever bought. So that tells you how good this movie is. But in that movie, what do they sing? Look out, because here I come, and I'm marching on to the beat that I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. They sing, they can say, they can say, it all sounds crazy. 
They can say, they can say that we lost our mind. I don't care. I don't care. Call me crazy. We can live in a world that we design. Okay? Are you hearing that? We design. We dream. What I dream. You know, that's the pulse of the world. But I would ask again, do you have a commitment to conform? Understand when I refer to a commitment to conform, I'm referring to a willingness to harmonize for the purpose of oneness in Christ. Okay? A willingness to harmonize for the purpose of oneness in Christ. That's a commitment to conform. It's the kind of commitment that says, you know what, if they're not for it, then I'm not going to go there. If there are legitimate concerns presented, biblically grounded concerns then I don't want any part of that. That's what a commitment to conform says. It's the kind of commitment that says, you know what, this is not really my uh, comfort, it's not in my comfort zone, it's not something I'm used to, definitely not my preference. It's not the way I would do it if it were me, but if there's legitimacy, there's biblical support, For where you're wanting to go, let's do it. I've made a commitment to conform with this body. Sign me up because I am with you. We're together in this. So let's do it. So do you have a commitment to conform in your heart today? Understand in that father-son oneness relationship that we're called to mirror... It's a commitment that Jesus prayed would be in us. So that's the first thing we see about the oneness relationship in John chapter 5. Secondly, not only is there a commitment to conform factor, okay, there's not only a commitment to conform factor, but there's also a commitment to trust factor in that father-son relationship. A commitment to trust. We see the trust factor when we look at verse 22 in chapter 5 where it said, The Father has entrusted. Okay, He's entrusted all judgment to the Son. Now we're not going to get into you know what in the world that means that He's entrusted all judgment uh, to the Son this morning. But the point for us today is that there is a trust factor in that relationship. That relationship that Jesus is praying would be seen in us. It's the kind of, of heart that sees another believer and says, you know what? I believe in you. I believe in you. I recognize your, your capabilities. I've seen your heart, you know, that you've been faithful. I'm going to trust in you to do this work with me. So there's a trust factor there. There's uh, an inclusion, an empowerment, a reliance that God has placed you in my life for a reason. So I'm going to purposefully choose, purposefully commit to work with you. So I wonder with your church, do you have a commitment to trust? Are you committed to believe in one another and work together? One of the things that I always uh, appreciated about the first pastoral position uh, that I was ever in uh, after I graduated 
uh, from Bible college, I went on staff at the church that I grew up at. And actually a friend of mine, we had both grown up uh, in that church together and we came on uh, to the staff at about the same time. We were about 22 or so. But what I always appreciated was the senior pastor, right from the beginning, he put my friend and I in the Sunday morning preaching rotation. You know, just really right from the get-go. And I always appreciated that because when you think about it from his end, from that senior pastor's uh, point of view, you know, he was our uh, pastor when we were in elementary school and when we were in junior high and when we were in high school and weren't necessarily thinking straight, you know, and uh, in college. And, and so through all of that, you know, he was our pastor. And so I think it would have been really understandable for him to say, you know what, Shane and Andy, I mean, <laughs> those guys are just kids. They have no business being up here preaching on Sunday mornings. You know, I've been preaching for 20 years. And they've hardly done a sermon or two. So they don't have any business being here. I think that would have been understandable for him to think that. But you know, he had a commitment to trust. He had a commitment to trust in us. He was committed to trusting in the God who had placed us in his life. And so I wonder this morning then, what about you? Do I have a commitment to trust the individuals that God has placed around me in this church? Because just in case you didn't know, there are a lot, there is a lot of Christ-honoring talent and giftedness in this church. In case you didn't know. And in case you didn't know, uh, Pastor Greg... And I and the elders, we are sold out and chomping at the bit to walk with you towards Christ in discovering your purpose in building up the kingdom. You know, that's the truth. That's the truth. Here at Living Streams, understand that the leadership, we are committed to trust in the individuals that God has placed around us in this church. You know, we don't want somebody else. We want you. Okay? We want you. Remember that. We're committed to trust in the individuals that God has placed around us in this church. And understand that the father-son relationship that we're called to, it has a commitment to conform. It has a commitment to trust. And then thirdly, a third commitment that we see in this John 5 passage, we see that there's a love commitment in that relationship. Okay, there's a commitment uh, to love. You look at that passage in John 5, it says, what is the father about? It says he's about honoring his son. That's what God's about. He's about honoring his son. He's about loving his son. And we find that to be the father's heartbeat You know, throughout Scripture, you know, we see God the Father saying, This is my Son in whom I am very well pleased. In the Old Testament, before the Son was ever even on the earth, the Father, He was already already bubbling up 
about him. In Isaiah 42, he said, He is my chosen one, my chosen one in whom I delight, he said. So we see in that father-son relationship that there is a commitment to love and to honor. There's a commitment to build up. It's a love that, that not only asks the question, but it's a love that is consumed with the question, what can I do to make another look great here? Forget about me. How can I bring someone else to a position of honor today? With your church, do you have a commitment uh, to love? And, you know, I think about in my life, and in my life in a lot of ways, I can see that commitment to love in Pastor Greg's relationship with me and so what i mean by that is you know that guy i mean he never says anything bad about me and i mean he could you understand but i mean there's a lot of times you know here uh here in the in the service when we're bantering you know back uh and forth um or at other times you know it's like he's always trying to to build me up he's trying to push Honor, you know, he's trying to push love over in my direction. And listen, you know, let me tell you something about old Shane Bob. Okay? Shane Bob's got problems. Do we all, we all understand that, right? I mean, it, issues could be my middle name. I mean, that kind of has a ring to it. You know, Shane issues Arthur. You know? I have flaws. But Greg, He has a commitment to love. And listen, that makes all the difference. It makes all the difference to love through the flaws. In John 5, we see that the oneness, the unity that Jesus prays for, for us in John 17, that unity... It contains a commitment to conform, a commitment to trust, and to love. So that's that first part of the prayer that we see back in John chapter 17. So now I'm going to switch back over where Jesus prays for us. I pray, Father, that they'd be one as you and I are one. That's what he is asking for. So that's the first thing that he prays for in his last prayer then secondly back in john chapter 17 we'll just be in john 17 now Uh, secondly we see that he asked the father in verse 21 may they also be in us father so not only may they be one as you and i are one with those uh, three commitments that we've talked about but but also may they be one in us so he's praying might might they have the the same affections and he's praying, Lord, might they have the, uh, the same mind, same character, enjoying the same fullness that you and I do. He was asking that we wouldn't just be one, that we wouldn't just reflect the unity of the Father and Son, but that we would actually participate in it, that we would play a part. 
in that divine unity. 1 Corinthians 6.17, it says, He who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. One with him. So Jesus is praying, Father, might they be one with us in spirit. Might they keep in step with us. You know, may they say with a convicted change, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. May they be in us. He's praying. I wonder, do you bring a in us attitude with you to church? Do you bring an in us, in Christ attitude with you uh, to church? It's important that you do. In the book, Pursuit of God, uh, A.W. Tozier asked the question, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord being tuned, not tuned to each other, but to another standard, a standard to which each one must individually bow. Okay, so that's saying, you know, a hundred believers, I mean, they may gather together, but if they're not tuned to the same fork, if they're not approaching with a oneness in us attitude in Christ, the music, it turns to noise really quickly, really quickly. So he's praying, you know, Father, would they be in us? Would they be tuned to us. Then thirdly, uh, he prays in verse <clears throat> 23. So he's, he's prayed, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. May they be uh, in us, tuned to the same fork. And then thirdly, in verse 23, he's praying that we would be brought to a place of complete unity that the world might know. Okay, so here's the purpose of unity, really. You know, why is Jesus asking that we might have unity? Why is he spending his last earthly prayer on that? Well, that we might share Christ, that we might amplify Christ together. You know, why have a oneness like the Father and Son? Why be tuned to the same silver fork? That the world will know. That the world will know. You see, Jesus understood that when entire lives are lived and they're formed and entrusted and tuned together as one, the sufficiency of God is made known. The supremacy of God is seen. The greatness of the oneness of the one triune God is displayed. That song, Pastor Greg always wants to sing, but I don't want to play it very often. They will know we are Christians by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. And so Christ, you know, he prayed that we would be one as they are one. That we'd be in us, that we would be in them so that the world would know that Jesus loves them and there's something incredibly special 
in this place and in store for each heart that will come in and hand their selves over to the king. So hopefully in those few verses, we have a pretty good idea of what, what Jesus is talking about, uh, the unity that he's looking for. But really initially, you know, when I, uh, when I look th- through that, um, maybe it's just the natural skeptic in me, I don't know, but I'm a, a, a little um, hesitant. I wonder, I mean, is, is Jesus, you know, is he being a little overly optimistic uh, with what us humans can actually uh, put together down here, unity-wise. Could he be a little optimistic? I mean, I appreciate that he's praying for us, uh, that he'd like to see that happen, but did he really expect that it would? Did he have a plan, did he have a way for that unity to really happen? Because we got problems, Right? Shane's got issues. We've got sin. Did he think it was possible? You know what? He knew it was possible. And we read that he knew it was possible uh, in verse 22. In verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one. Okay? This is huge here. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one. So what's he saying there? Well, he's saying, my glory is going to enable them, is going to allow them to be one. It's my glory that's going to make the way for that. So it's like, well, you know, that's great. Um, you know, but what, it, what is, what is the glory? You know, uh, what, what is this, this great enabler? That you're uh, referring to is his glory. I mean, that kind of sounds kind of out there. I mean, how do, how do I take a hold uh, of that so that we can unite? Well, listen, when we talk about glory, what is glory? Glory is the result of an achievement, right? Glory is the consequence of an achievement. Now, I was going to use a Tom Brady illustration here and I I recognize you know probably not a lot of you are Tom Brady fans which is fine but I mean the dude has won a lot and when I picture Tom Brady what am I picturing well I'm picturing him with that you know that keen grin holding that Super Bowl trophy and the the blue red and white confetti just showering down uh, upon him you know, well, what am I picturing? Well, I'm uh, picturing Tom Brady in, in his glory, right? Glorying in his achievement as Super Bowl champion after Super Bowl champion after Super Bowl champion. That's Tom Brady's glory. When I picture him, that's what I see. That's his crowning achievement. So for us, then, we need to ask, well... If Christ's glory is, is what's going to get me to oneness, get me to unity, what is his glory? Well, what is Christ's crowning achievement? You know, it's the cross, right? It's the gospel. It's the testimony of the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus making a way for sinners. 
It is through the gospel, understand, it is through the gospel that barriers to unity are removed. Romans 1.16, it talks about the power of this gospel. It says, I'm not ashamed of it. Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. Romans 12.5 says, We, though many, we are in uh, one body in Christ. So we can see from these verses that the glory of Christ's gospel, it's available to us and through it, Under that banner, under that flag, the power of the cross, we find the ability to unite. And how critical and important that unity is. May we recognize and take hold of that this morning. Understand, that was the last thing that Jesus prayed for. How high was that on his list of priorities? How heavily and fervently did his heart beat for that, for unity among us? Because when we don't have it, when we don't have it, I've got a good little quote here about it. Marcus Rainsford, he was an Irish preacher in the 19th century. He wrote a book about this prayer in John 17 titled, The Lord Prays for His Own Now, I wanted to share with you a few things uh, that he wrote about unity and the hindrances uh, to it, the difficulties that arise. So he says, let us love one another more and not be disheartened when we see apparent divisions between the people of God. There is a much closer union between them than any of us suspect or than the world has the least idea of. It is true, misconceptions, misconstructions, and prejudices tend to divide the children of God from one another. Pity that it is so. Yet, they are truly united. For example, ask them about sin, they will all tell you, it is an abominable thing we hate. Ask them of Jesus, they will tell you his name is ointment. Ask them of his blood, they all agree that it is the precious blood and that it has spoken peace to their consciences. To that blood they fly in every difficulty and sorrow and danger and fear. You will find that they are one in these, the only and all essential principles of gospel, light and truth. Pity it is that with so much to unite them, Very trifles often allow separation. He says, an enemy has done this. And then he goes on. I'll share one more paragraph. How do our divisions shame us? How does the want of union amongst the people of God mar their glory? Did Christ not long for union? Shall believers in the Lord Jesus Christ sever this union with petty differences and dispute? Differences and dispute which narrow-mindedness, selfishness, or the malice of the world and the devil have invented and magnified. How do our divisions shame us? How does the want of union amongst the people of God mar their glory? 
I wanted to share John 17 with you this morning so that you could understand how heavily burdened Jesus was that you and I would be united together. How heavy his heart was that you and I, that we would mirror that oneness of the Father and the Son, that we would, would be in the Father and the Son so that the world would know that it is He and He alone who can save. There's a, a video clip uh, that I've got for you this morning, and I just felt like um, in this clip you can hear a lot of, of things um, that Jesus was saying in this passage. Uh, so I thought we'd close with it, so let's watch it together. Now let's close our eyes and pray together this morning. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you so much uh, this morning uh, for your cross. Your cross which opened up the way, um, which removed the wall, removed the the division uh, that stood between me and all my sin and the Father. Jesus, you are the great, uh, perfect uniter and all praise uh, I give to you today. So Father, uh, in light of your perfection, In light of the knowledge of your will, um, we're just here as a body of believers uh, looking into John uh, chapter 17 where you're saying, hey, I want you guys to be one as the Father and Son are one. And so, Father, we've done our best to dig into that this morning, but we just pray, Holy Spirit, that, that you would reveal uh, the perfect truth to us. God, would you help us to see in our hearts what being one with one another is the Father and the Son are one. Help us to see Jesus, what that looks like today. And the way that we live uh, week after week with one another and the way that we work uh, together and the way that we worship uh, together and pray together. God, help us to see what oneness in Jesus Christ, looks like. So, Father, I thank you uh, for your word. I thank you for each person uh, that's here this morning. I praise you that they uh, in no way have ever at any time been an accident, but, Father, they have been chosen by you uh, to do great uh, things for you. And so, Father, I thank you that, you're, that they're here and I pray you'd help us uh, to work together uh, towards you uh, displaying your glory. And so it's in Jesus' name that I ask and pray these things. Amen.